I'm Jim McCarthy. I'm with Counterpoint Strategies, and we are a uh, media relations advisor to American manufacturer, or, excuse me, American Vapor Manufacturers Association. Um, and with us is Lindsay Stroud, who is uh, director of Taxpayers Protection Alliance, and one of the very smartest people I know on vaping policy issues. So, Lindsay, I appreciate you uh, chiming in with us today. Oh, thank you. Um, had a couple of topics we wanted to dive into. I guess the first thing I'd, I'd be keen to hear is your perspective on where things stand with the vape tax. There's a couple articles that that popped, um, but I haven't heard exactly where the where the latest is. I guess the simple answer is it's in front of the Senate and being you know con- considered, and and what and where they'll go with it remains to be seen. Is that is that about right? So it's in the Senate right now, um, and there's three senators, uh, Manchin and obviously Cinema. Um, but we're also putting some pressure on Cortez Matzo. Um, that's kind of came out from Nevada. Um, so just kind of just pushing on, you know, the whole narrative that this is a tax on people making under $400,000 a year or less. And even worse, it's taxed on former smokers. Um, I think it's a good uh, narrative to kind of push that you quit smoking. And one of the reasons why you're able to quit smoking is the low cost of vaping to put it on parity with tobacco products is just um, terrible for public health, actually. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, I was curious to see there, there's a, a little bit of coverage of it. Uh, I think late Friday, the wall street journal popped a piece um, that indicated that, you know, this tax was in there and that cigarettes were being exempted. It was, you know, it was a little bit amusing to me that the, that the Wall Street Journal, you know, largest circulation publication in the country was, you know, only a mere three and a half weeks to, to five weeks late on realizing that that was happening. But nevertheless, it put a good spotlight on the fact this was in there. Yeah. Um, and if I recall, Manchin was interviewed at a stand up uh, by Fox a few weeks ago saying, he was opposed to the to, to nicotine tax of any kind and said it didn't make any sense to him. Is that is that consistent with what you're hearing? Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he was kind of against, I mean, I think he's just really against the bill in general, but um, he's definitely against that nicotine tax. And he's from West Virginia, too. They have the highest rates of um, smokers. And from what I know from the 2017 BRFSS data is that they also have like the highest rate of e-cigarette users, too. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. For the, at least for that data, I mean, it does make sense. But even when you look at like youth um, usage, yeah, they 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 have one of the highest rates of youth vaping, but they also have the highest rates of youth smoking. You know, it makes you wonder to what extent you know members like Mansion, let's say, or their staffs are really zeroed in on that stuff. I mean, it's hard not to get the impression that a lot of them have only the most surface, cursory understanding of what's going on. Yeah. That's what they, 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 get, they get their stuff from headlines. I mean, look at vaping. It's definitely, you know, it just has to go with, oh, I mean, a valley when that happened. That's when you saw them like, oh, we yeah. got to do something. That, they didn't read anything into it knowing that this was like illicit products that were causing that. Right, right. Although there's a couple members we, uh, we, we have discovered. We took a look at some of the um, uh, congressional uh stock purchasing data members of congress as you probably know are obliged to disclose their um stock purchases and sales um and uh there's more than a few members that have been purchasing uh tobacco stocks in in recent weeks among them Ro Khanna, who's in the dem leadership one of the progressive caucus leaders and um 
also our pal John Yarmouth from uh, Kentucky have both bought tobacco stock. So it sure looks like those guys have their fingers on what's coming next, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and, and Roe, Ro, I, I did a little bit of research on him. Uh, Roe actually has been like pretty staunch against e-cigarettes. I know that he teamed up with Krishna Morthy back in like 2019 uh, to have the FDA banned flavors and e-cigarettes. Right, so pretty, pretty, pretty savvy of him to foresee that that might, you know, yeah, be, 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 be you know, for, to raise, uh, to, you know, to, the price of tobacco stocks doesn't, doesn't take a, doesn't take a, you know, deep Wall Street analyst to put two and two together on Ex- that. Yeah, it's a little bit like almost like insider trading, but congressional style. Well, it's amazing. You know, uh, my my agency does a lot of work in securities law, and members of Congress are, you know, c- can trade legally on information they've got about you know what congress is going to do next to various companies and of course that has a huge effect on market outcomes both up and down and members of congress can trade on that you know no sweat no problem um whereas if you did that you know i don't know in any publicly traded company you'd be in handcuffs the next morning yeah exactly <laughs> but they're they're much above the law in a sense um <laughs> Well, it's funny. My friend, my friend John Carney, who uh, is one of the sharpest financial journalists out there, has a interesting solution to the congressional insider trading problem, which is that uh, members of Congress should be obliged to uh, disclose their stock transactions as they happen, moments like at the same moment, and that way, uh, the American public could trade along with them because mem- members of Congress outperform the, the market and all the top stock analyst shops by a lot. So if members, of, so if the American public could simply, you know, get into the Nancy Pelosi and Ro Khanna index fund, we'd be, you know, we'd all be rich. Yes, yes, and we'd all have the, the, some inside access and what, you know, some insight on what stocks to buy, which ones not, which ones to dump. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's just amazing. Well, the, I mean, what I wanted to zero in on in particular on, in the congressional uh, machinations is um, this message that the Dems seem to be putting out uh, Pelosi's spokesperson on Friday. And then I've seen a couple other places also where they're they're now trying to claim that uh, the objective is that cigarettes and vaping will be taxed, you know, quote, equally in their view at the same level. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons why I think that's bunk, but it's striking to me that that's their that that's their message. I mean, for one thing, it seems to completely ignore the obvious demonstrable public health outcome. I mean, other places that have imposed taxes see immediate rises in smoking rates. The NIH just came out with a study they funded just just not two weeks ago saying that this specific tax was going to cause 2.5 million more smokers. And the message from the Dems about this has no, has nothing to say about the public health. They're just trying to make some, you know, ridiculous argument about it's at the equal level, which, I, I, you know, again, I think is bunking in, in, in 20 different ways. But I wanted to get your impression on that as their kind of, you know, main uh, primary talking point. Well, yeah, I mean, it completely goes against public health and all the findings that e-cigarettes are 95% safer than combustible cigarettes. I mean, even uh, Scott Gottlieb, when he was at the FDA, recognized this continuum of risk among tobacco products with combustible cigarettes, you know, being the most harmful and then tickering down, you got cigars and oral, then, you know, e-cigarettes and NRT, um, and they, they play on this field um, with the harms associated with them. But I think the most problematic is that 
even if it was about public health, it's not being earmarked towards public health programs. I mean, it's literally just a revenue grab. Um, and that's just really discouraging when you already see so much of combustible cigarette sales, you know, combustible cigarette taxes and, you know, MSA payments not going towards public health um, at all. And they're just, you know, filling up the coffers of government. So, I mean, it's, Really, it's really sad that we here we are, you know, 2021, 20, 14 years after e-cigarettes were first introduced in America, and you still have lawmakers that um, think that they're as harmful as cigarettes, or in some cases, more harmful. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know the equality argument is also it 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 it, it falls apart even just just with basic scrutiny. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of obvious analysis about how cigarettes and vaping are what what economists would call economic substitutes and you know in academic terms that means that a price increase in one product will cause sales growth in the other um you know another another term for that is cross price elasticity and that's a that is a you know economics 101 phenomenon that has been that has been you know widely uh, correlated with this market and you know, it's you can you can Google it in three seconds, and yet somehow the Democrats imagine that they can, I don't know, mislead the press and the public by claiming there's some equivalence here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's it's it strikes. I'll put it a different way. It, it strikes me as really poor PR salesmanship. Yes. Well, exactly. And especially, too, with the fact that they took out the cigarette tax. I mean, the original tax had cigarettes was going to get doubled. They had, you know, a crazy tax on cigars and stuff. And they took that out. I mean, I kind of figured they were going to take that one out and keep vaping because, you know, the kids, the kids, the kids. Um, and that seems to just be the argument that they're using um, you know, right now. And I'm really surprised I haven't seen any of them actually come out and said, say, well, we have to tax it because of youth. Um that I'm really, I'm, you know, Nancy Pelosi, I saw that she came out sitting there saying, well, you know, cigarettes are, are like a necessity or vaping's not a necessity, so it doesn't impact everybody. But um, I'm, right. yeah, I'm still surprised that they haven't seen the kids. Yeah, that's another one of like, you know, Nancy Pelosi's, you know, eating the gourmet ice cream, doing her, doing her live chat moments where the, you know, the elitism just doesn't even, doesn't yeah. even register to her. Getting her hair done. It's really astounding. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I like I like the one. Did you see the one where she was she was like eating the twenty dollar pint of ice <laughs> while she was talking about how how Americans are doing just fine? Really, incre really incredible. Um, but it's you know it's it's amazing because you know even in, in you know any enterprising reporter you know looking at you Associated Press or I don't know Washington Post could see that in Pelosi's own district when they you know restricted vaping. Vaping among teenagers immediately spiked, and the same thing happened in Minnesota, and you know plenty of other case studies around the country. I mean, it's not like theoretical. This is actual proof of things that actually happened in the last couple of years, and yet you know P Pelosi's parading around with her chin stuck out on this as if she's protecting the kids. When in fact, every place this has been tried, including her district, has seen a huge spike in in, in teen smoking. So it's just astounding to me that they're you know, whistling past the graveyard, I guess, literally and figuratively. And yet I can't, so far as I can tell, there's no, no, no reporters on the Hill seem curious about that. No, they don't. I mean, I mean, you're finally getting, um, I saw that like, the New York times is finally getting a little bit unbiased in their hatreds towards e-cigarettes, but they, I mean, it's almost like they just want, they want, they have nothing nice to sit there and say about vaping. Um, so anything, I mean, that's why you kind of always see these junk sciences, science, uh, you know, research that goes through um, and people keep passing it along, even though it's false.
And so, I mean, they don't really care oh. about doing the reporting on it. Um, and I mean, one of the stories that's never told, how many, for, like, we don't really even know the exact number of adult vapors that we have. We do know the number of youth vaping, um, which makes no sense to me. Like, why do you not care about how many adults are actually using this product? Yeah, it's astounding. I mean, it, you know, even 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 the most basic questions, I think, would would uh, would, would would yield incredible you know, results for any enterprising Hill, Hill reporter. I mean, half these people up there, like, I don't know, Manu Raju at CNN, for example, spends all his days chasing members around the halls, at, you know, needling them with questions. Well, here's one, Manu, that affects more than 15 million Americans and Speaker Pelosi or the heads of the, of the Progressive Caucus or John Yarmouth, you know, can't get the bat around on the easiest pitch on this. Yeah. Um, and yet, they can't even muster the energy to, to, to put the question to them. It's really something else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, and you'll see it too, when they ask about it, they kind of always deflect it to the questions when they ask about like, well, what about the people who've quit smoking? And you know, they, they're like, Oh, we don't have data on that. Well, there is data. You're just not listening to it. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah. And, and most of these things you have noticed, I mean, I definitely noticed it at state capitals and I'm assuming it's the same at Congress. I mean, a lot of them, if you went in front of the, if you went in front of Pelosi, probably with like a jewel, and, you know, like a puff bar, and then you went and, like, showed an open system mod, she's going to, like, not even know what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that that's really curious. And I'm, I'm also, I'm also struck about how the, how the tax got back in, you know, Fox, I, I, you may have seen on Friday, did a piece uh, about the tax, and they zeroed in on, you know, what, why and how the cigarette portion got stripped out. And there was some reporting when that first happened, uh, that John Yarmouth, who's a Democrat from Kentucky, he's the chair of the House Budget Committee, who oversaw the, um, you know, the actual composition of the bill, um, that he had used what what they call in Congress um, a manager's amendment to strip out the part on cigarettes and leave in the part on vaping. And yet, incredibly, when Fox called him about that, he, he denied involvement. His office said, oh, no, it wasn't us at all. It was the Ways and Means Committee, and you got to talk to them. I had nothing to do with it. I was and that, that, to me, was such a coffee spitter. I couldn't believe that, A, he was distancing himself from it, and B, like, no, you were the author of the bill. Wow. Well, that's not really surprising because um, I know that the Kentucky governor actually opposed it, too, and wrote a letter to Congress to get rid of the cigarette tax. Now, in Kentucky, yeah, too, no. if you look at it, like, a couple years ago, they put in a vapor tax and not a cigarette tax. So, like, they, um, it was, like, or the tax rate, if I was correct, the tax rate was, uh, like, higher on vaping products than it was on cigarettes that they had introduced. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, look, at Yarmouth's support for the tobacco industry makes perfect sense. I mean, he gets, you know, he, he gets tons of money and donations from various interests there from the, you know, from the unions that are there to the companies themselves. Um, never mind that, you know, the, the, the business interests in his state. So it makes perfect sense. But, you know, for him to for him to sort of disavow involvement like that, I mean, maybe he's playing some parliamentary trick like, oh, no, I wasn't the one that, you know, technically handed it to the parliamentarian. Um it was striking to me that, that that he could he could sense that the you know kind of the fuse was lit on this PR um, explosive. Yeah. Um. So it's curious. It'll be it'll be interesting to see if 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 if, if Fox gets to the bottom of that. Um, that would be amazing to see that, that some, and, and get more people doing the runaround too. That'd be great. 
Yeah, I know. Well, again, it's like fish in a barrel. Hey, Hill reporters. I mean, you know, none of these members can answer the most basic questions about it. And there's, you know, a huge constituency out in the, in, in the country that cares about it. So you'd think, yeah, I don't know, just for their own just for their own fun that reporters would do it. Forget about professional ethics. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it raises a, raises a sort of an, an interesting macro question, Lindsay, for, you know, what's going to what are the implications for the uh, for the midterm elections? And, um, you know, my my sense of it is just from a pure political calculus, I mean, there's a gigantic constituency that that cares passionately about vaping policy, um, you know, many of whom could be said to look at it as a life or death issue. Um, and we're, we're talking 15 million plus people who vape, never mind their family or their friends. Um, and they, they, they span the entire political spectrum left to right, you know, at a time when, when, when uh, politicians are desperate to find uh, unaffiliated independent voters, there's this gigantic bushel out there. And uh, I think that members, my sense of it is just as a, in pure clinical electoral terms, the members or candidates that 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 try to court that uh, constituency will see a huge windfall. Yes, absolutely, and yeah, and they are very single issue voters, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on. Um, I could see, you know, a person voting for, you know, an, an anti-abortion, you know, person just based off of their, even though they're the opposite of that, you know, based on how they, you know, how they're handling vaping, um, and especially, you know, moving into the midterms, too, because you have so much happening at the federal level with the FDA and the PMTAs, people are going to start paying attention to their Congress and what they're going to do, so I do think that the vaping segment is going to have a lot of sway in these, um, these midterms, and some of, especially in some of the easy uh, swing districts. You know, there, and there's indications of that, aren't there, from the, from like the last cycle? I mean, you know, at, le- at least some significant part of Senator Johnson's campaign, I think, got a lot of wind in the sails from his support for for vaping. Oh yeah. Um, and then, you know, my favorite one was um, just in, in in the election that took place a couple of days ago. You may have seen uh, the, um, the president of the New Jersey State Senate was defeated. Yes. <laughs> Uh, by by what could be I don't know it, well I mean a local guy who's a truck driver um, who spent a grand total of two hundred dollars on his entire campaign according to federal election records half of that money was was spent on Dunkin' Donuts for his for his quote staff um, and yet he ousted the top you know elected official in the New Jersey legislature who just so happened to be the most vocal opponent of vaping in the whole legislature. Um, so, you know, that would seem to me another good example of how people are paying attention to that. And they're going to punish uh, elected officials that take this prohibitionist stance. Or, I mean, do you think I'm overreading that? No, I think it's absolutely right there. I think Raja out here in Illinois has got a little bit of uh, stuff to worry about because he's very anti-vaping. Um, and yeah, because it is single issue. And, and especially because it means so much to people who have quit smoking. Um, and that was the only way for them to quit smoking. And I think I think lawmakers don't really because they don't smoke, so they don't understand what it's like to be addicted, um, you know, to this this cancer stick that you know is bad for you. So it's very personal with these people that they they were able to quit smoking, and now you have government that's trying to take that away from them, and telling and even worse, telling them it's wrong and it's not good for them, even though they're the ones doing it. They've already they can feel, and it's just anecdotes, but you know they can already feel better. Um, they have the evidence yeah. themselves. So um, I think absolutely that, that, that 
going with into the next election and that it's going to be a big on the back of everyone's head. Like, what's this lawmaker going to do in terms of my vape? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting from a from a from a PR messaging point of view that you know that notion that elected officials are being hypocritical about it. I think is what resonates the most. I mean, just from anecdotal evidence and um, you know talking to stakeholders or watching the traffic on. Um, an engagement on AVM's Twitter feed, for example, the, the the messaging that gets the most resonance is when you point out how uh, elected officials are, let's say, a okay with you know liquor and um, marijuana or cigarettes or other uh, you know other uh, products, and yet are cracking down on vaping um, with this prohibition, you know, no exception stance. That just drives people up an absolute wall. Yeah. Well, the harm reduction, I think, is a perfect example. They're for, you know, needle exchanges and methadone, but they're not for tobacco harm reduction. Right, right, right. I mean, we did a we did a series of tweets the other day on uh, Congressman Yarmouth, um, and uh, he just so happens to be the founder of what's something called the Congressional Whiskey Caucus, which was designed to promote sales of whiskey which is something i happen to agree with you know good good for them um and he's one of the biggest you know recipients of campaign contributions from the liquor industry um and he has fought tooth and nail for you know 10 20 plus years against any taxes on uh hard alcohol um and yet here he is trying to impose this gargantuan industry killing tax on vaping well guess what you know the the, 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 by your own calculus, you want to talk about harms to youth, um, you know, the harms being done by binge drinking or, I don't know, alcohol abuse or, you know, drunk driving. Accidents. I mean, on and on. Yeah, on, on and on and on and on and on. And apparently that's, you know, you're hunky dory with that so long as, you know, the sales clerk at, at, the, at the liquor store, you know, uh, does an ID check. But with vaping oh no that's a bridge too far don't you know so you point that out to people and you know just smoke comes out of their ears understandably yeah yeah and i mean i know we've always brought it up in the in the vape space too and you look at like the flavored liquor um you know like okay so vodka can have funny flavors on it but like you know vapor products cannot um even though i mean then they've done everything too and you look at like you know they did the they did T21, and then, I mean, they should have just called it V21. It was, oh, your kids are vaping. Like, oh, well, kids were smoking back in the 1990s at way higher rates. You didn't, you know, push the smoking yes. age up then. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, uh, Jonathan Adler uh, with the outstanding uh, Volokh conspiracy um, had a piece in today uh, where he where he says uh, he was thinking about an additional group that's going to be hurt here. Um I'm just pulling that clip up. And that is, um, uh, yeah, he says, Adler says, quote, I would identify a fourth group that's vulnerable here, young people who want to try or experiment with nicotine products who will now have a greater incentive to try combustible cigarettes instead of e-cigarettes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that, that too is sort of overlooked. I mean, you get this, you get this sense that, I don't know, Pelosi, Yarmouth at all, never mind, campaign for tobacco free kids think that they can just sort of wave a magic wand and the ways that young people behave and the actions they take are going to just go go away somehow magic there's a kind of magical thinking to it that's so divorced from what happens in reality yes and well and, and it's funny too because they don't pay attention to eval i mean the prohibition they don't understand that or even the opioid epidemic i mean 
you can't yeah. take it away. You're just going to create an underground market for things. And unfortunately, we've seen the effects of that underground market. Um, you know, you had like 40 people die from lung injuries, you know, from, you know, yeah. illicit products. So that's what I really just don't get. And then, yeah, when you put a crazy tax on it, you're just going to end up, it's all black market stuff for people to avoid that tax scheme. I mean, you, you already see it in the cannabis market. I mean, in California, they've got, you know, a tax on every part of that, you know, from start to finish, yeah. and you, they also have like eighty percent of the marijuana consumed in the state is black market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean, again, not only is it is it is it absolutely established economic theory. You can there are examples uh, galore that you can that you can point to, and yet they yet, yet they obstinately, you know, continue to pursue that that's that same approach. And you know what what, what bothers me the most too is that, is it is that a lot of reporters, even journalists that are covering this issue as like as a as a formal beat, seem, you know, impervious to those kinds of countervailing examples. You know, we had an argument with a reporter the other day about, you know, she had been you know continues to use the uh, the, the phrase youth vaping epidemic and, and and we argued, well, hold on a second. You know, it, it has declined. Youth vaping has declined sixty percent in each of the last, you know, over the last two years, and so, you know, th there is no rational measure by which you can legitimately call that an epidemic. I mean, if you, even if you use CDC's own, you know, definition of what constitutes an epidemic, it doesn't meet that either. The first and didn't yet, meet it in twenty eighteen either. <laughs> right, 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 and and, and so you can and so that's you know that that is absolute rock solid smoking gun, no doubt about it open and shut case for the usage of the macro description of this issue. And yet you talk to the reporter and you think I was trying to persuade her that, I don't know, trying to hook kids, guys, 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 polka dot. Yeah. 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 I mean, and if you kind of, I, I've noticed it. I mean, a lot of it's coming from the CDC. Um, I went through all their press releases and, you know, they're the ones that kind of, you know, started back in like 20. 15 you know youth vaping youth vaping we got to be scared you know we and they were i mean oh it more than doubled well yeah it went from like two percent to four percent i mean and of course it's going to increase once you get the products out there um you know but it's honestly the rates of vaping are still lower than what the rates of smoking were in the 90s in the like 1996 yeah. you had 76% of kids had tried a cigarette and like 30% of them were like using it every day or something like, I mean, it's insane at the rates of smoking um, among high school students in the nineties. They didn't ban them. They, no, they just sued the tobacco companies. Now I noticed uh, Lindsay on our, in our spaces here that we may emphasize may have the inimitable Christian Josie on. <laughs> oh. Are you there? Yes. Hello. I am. I am profoundly sorry. My my phone and the spaces thing didn't didn't seem to uh, get into sync, but we we fixed it. And uh, uh, hello, everybody. Thank you. And I'm sorry I'm late. No, no, pro no problem. We were we were building anticipation for you as if, the, as if you were the <laughs> you're the star of the opera who only comes out after extended extended duration. Oh wow. <laughs> well, I'm trying to catch up uh, based on I've only been on for a few minutes. But did you get to the uh, the the clever uh, piece about um, the congressional disclosures and uh, and how some of the what some of the we, people I'm, pushing I'm this glad, are investing I'm in? I'm glad you zeroed in on that too, and I'll 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 give our listeners just a brief brief intro of you because I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, Christian Josie is with us. Christian is a longtime, multi-decade, top-level political communications advisor who's worked on many campaigns um, 
federal level, House, Senate, presidential campaigns, one of the smartest guys I know in American politics and a um, crackerjack communicator as well and um, has written and advised on on this issue to uh, um, in several different publications and to several different companies. So um, I appreciate your taking time today, Christian. And I, yes, the, we did touch on the um, on members of Congress buying stock in tobacco companies, and we're, we're building that research out. We, I, I have no doubt we're going to find quite a few more. But it just, I mean, we were, Lindsay and I were puzzling about whether you know, how, how it seems like that that sort of hypocrisy uh, from members of Congress is the button that that that, you know, uh, when you push that button with people is, is, is the one that gets them the most motivated. I mean, public health is important and there's other you know economics that's important, too. But you tell them that a member of Congress is buying tax and buying stock in tobacco companies while they're you know, placing a, a industry killing tax on their competitors. And oh, my gosh, the smoke comes out of their ears. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I do think that that's, I mean, and this is, this is information that hasn't been reported yet, as far as I can tell. Is that, is that your take as well, Jim? Oh, no, it, it, it has, it, it is not. I, I had my, my, yeah. my office and I had to do the legwork on that because, and I guess that means we're running circles around, you know, the whole of the mainstream media, but yeah, that, that it's public information easily found. We did it, found, discovered it in an hour and yet somehow, I don't know, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Associated Press, NBC have overlooked it. That's amazing. And um, and then the other, the other issues about, um, you know, I, and the the Warner piece today, what I thought was incredible. Um, I did not see that coming. You guys may have, but um, I thought that that was incredibly powerful. In fact, that the Post would 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 run it, I thought was was pretty pretty encouraging as well. Um, yeah. Kenneth Warner, just for our listeners, is um, the dean emeritus at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. He had an op-ed in the Washington Post today um, arguing that the vape tax is um, going to lead to you know, vastly more smoking. And he knows whereof he speaks because I don't know if there's a more experienced person in nicotine policy in the whole country. Um, he's been on FDA's advisory panel. He's um, you know, leading academic expert at the University of Michigan, served on a bunch of different institutions that's more, you know, that study uh, nicotine policy globally. And so for him to come, you know, come out and make that case in the Washington Post, um, I think will have huge impact. Lindsay, does that, is that your, am I overstating his gravitas? No, that's the perfect. Yeah, I think that that's, that's because, you know, I've, been working on, I've worked on this issue since early on, as many of, of you on, recognize a lot of people on this call, by the way. So hello to those that I know and to those that I don't. I hope to meet you soon. Um, I started working on this really early and our talking point, you know, throughout the, the fight has been it's going to make people smoke more. It's going to make people smoke more. And nobody listened. We we're blue in the face. And now here we are this morning at this critical point in time headline washington post build back betters e-cigarette tax will make people smoke more thank you yeah i mean i mean i mean certainly worth waiting for if we're going to have it right if we have any time now is a pretty good time um and, and combined with the the study that, that came out recently which i'm sure you all know about it's, it's already it's, we're already seeing it um, um I, I think that 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 really is you know in my view it should be all about that headline um, and that headline is the thing that will kill it. Uh, helping matters is the fact that there are conflicts of interest in, 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 on, the, on the part of, uh, of some senators who are, who are pushing it hard. And it's always been a little bit weird, you know, the passion 
with which uh, people in the government and 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 others have have gone after this industry. So it's, there's always been something weird in the water, but now it really feels like it's coming, it's surfacing. And um, um, so point being, um, to get this killed in the Senate, my take is to keep it as simple as possible and this, and, and use this post piece and its messaging, um, uh, you know, to, to really, to really pound, uh, pound, pound it through. Um, well, you know, there's I, a kind of, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll... go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I'll, I'll, I'll express a little skepticism, if I may, which is, you know, there, there's a phenomenon of, I think, kind of over-reliance or on experts or expertitis on, on this issue. And, you know, where it takes a, you know, it, it takes someone with the, you know, curriculum vitae, um, uh, you know, of of Kenneth Warner to get into the Washington Post. But, you know, all of these facts, all these phenomena are are, are, are easily observable. And you never see any of these other voices in the news coverage. I mean, the, you know, if you look at if you look at the studies, the, the you know the, the efficacy of vaping as as a as a smoking cessation method is you know like more than double all the other methods that are out there. I mean, that's that is that is a phenomenal public health phenomenon, and yet nowhere in any of these articles do you see ordinary people quoted or interviewed or their anecdotes. I mean. You know, every NBC, ABC, CBS affiliate has consumer reporters and they love going, I don't know, to chase sketchy muffler shops and interview people that, you know, got treated badly. And yet here are 15 million Americans that are valiantly trying to quit smoking um, and doing it successfully with vaping. And, you know, they, it's like they don't exist to these to these journalists. But, oh, why? When, when the you know, when the esteemed Dr. Warner speaks, well, of course, let's all pull up a chair. Yeah. <laughs> There, there's more to this issue than what, um, you know, uh, academics may think about it. And, you know, CDC and FDA have the same problem here, too. They're, they're, they're in this enclosed bubble of elite experts, and they look at the American public as a, you know, little tiny, you know, characters in a Sim City game. These are real people who have the freedom to, you know, direct their own lives because, you know, we fought a revolution so that we could be free, free people and they deserve to have a voice and be listened to. And that goes for the government and for the media. I mean, I'm, I'm pushing my own buttons now, but it's, it's infuriating that, that only, you know, someone who has a, you know, eight page resume gets to speak out on the topic. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, but look at the PMTA, it's all the news sources, you know, instead of, you know, interviewing somebody who did a PMTA, they interviewed Matthew Myers with, you know, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, and so you could have easily just went into a vape shop that has a manufacturing leg to it, and see what it is, and see how clean it is, and they're not, you know, bogeymen doing stuff in the back, you know, back rooms, and, you know, putting yeah. dirty chemicals into this, um, and you actually, when you get to that, you saw it in, in you getting that kind of insight, you can actually change minds, you saw it in Rhode Island with the uh, representative Julie Casabiro out there, she, you know, had introduced a flavor ban and, and was getting harassed on Twitter by one of her constituents. So she's like, well, I'm just going to go show up. And she walked into a vape shop and learned how it was transitioning people off of combustible cigarettes and, you know, legit professional. Um, and you just don't see that anywhere um, in the news media. You know, it's, it's a, it, that, that's actually a really good transition into our, our, our 
favorite segment, which is the media lap dogs of the week. Um, and the piece that really bothered me the most was uh, CBS. Uh, the CBS Morning Show um, has a has a reporter named Tony Dokopil, and he did a piece all about the two dude bros that supposedly run Puff Bar. Um, that was springboarding off of a you know Wall Street Journal story that did a deep dive into the you know ownership of Puff Bar and how it's being I don't know market marketed and sold. And you know what, I guess what bothers me about it, Lindsay, is you know the the press will expend tons of legwork and you know, go, go to any length to try to find, you know, zero in on some caricatured version of vaping. Um, you know, what kind of cars do these guys drive and, you know, where do they live and how flashy is their house and, you know, no, no, no details to, too esoteric. Um, so long as they can caricature it and portray the industry, you know, in this, in this garish light, but, you know, nowhere mentioned any of the people that are benefiting or, you know, American vapor manufacturers, the main trade association of the, in the industry, never got a phone call from them just to utter in curiosity about any other aspects. So long as they can scare the daylights out of their, you know, cul-de-sac suburban viewers over breakfast, mission accomplished. Well, how about no, uh, you know, Puff Bar shouldn't even be on the market even prior to them moving to synthetic. And that's the FDA's own fault. You're not supposed to have a product on a market that wasn't on, wasn't introduced to, or introduced to market post August 8, 2016. Puff Bar came out in 2019. Um, so, and, and actually, if you look at most of the disposables, you know, they all came out post that date. So when you look at this youth increased use of disposables, you could almost blame the FDA for that, for not following their own regulations. Yeah. And I mean, I think the thing that, that, that re- is really galling for me, too, is the way that CBS News in particular has, you know, glorified itself um, for its, its historic legacy coverage of, of tobacco. I mean, you'll recall... Um, some years back, it was 60 CBS 60 Minutes that, you know, did the first whistleblower interview with a with a tobacco researcher. And that led to the, the famous Al Pacino film called The Insider starring Russell Crowe and Al Pacino and all, all about how CBS News is so courageous and we're taking on big tobacco, don't you know, and we're not going to be we're not going to be scared off the issue. And here, you know, you flash forward and here's CBS Newsman Tony Docopil doing the tobacco industry's work for them. Yep demonizing the the alternatives you know not talking at all about smoking cessation interviewing zero people who've effectively quit smoking even as tobacco um stocks are rising and for the first time in 20 years since that cbs story originally ran cigarette sales are on the rise again i mean you'd think cbs news would be horrified the smoking rates are rising again, but oh no, oh no, Tony Dokopil's on showing the puff bar dude bros in their Lamborghinis. That's the most important issue to them now. It's just, it's just disgraceful. It's very disgraceful, yeah. And well, and puff bar's got to have, puff bar's the new jewel. They've got a target on their back. I mean, um, and they kind of have had a target on their back, um, which is kind of really frustrating because they are kind of operating in this, you know, unregulated space. Uh, so, but it, it, there should be better, uh, you know, stories on there you have who's quit smoking i mean the golden oldies videos that i've done i think you know speak volumes when you've got you know this 80 year old that you know smoked for 70 years and and you know was able to only quit smoking because of vaping products um that's the story that's like not not being mentioned at all it's not like these people like just decided one day that they were just gonna do vaping no they've tried to quit so many other times and nothing else worked but vaping did yeah 
Right, right. I mean, right. you could you can you could do a story on that kind of individual human interest level, but think about it. There's also a macro level. I mean, think about the kind of stories that CBS and 60 Minutes are known for. You want like I don't know a egomaniacal billionaire who is strong arming public policy behind the scenes for his own you know twisted objectives. Ding, ding, ding. Michael Bloomberg is doing that in spades, hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, front organizations to put, to, you know, to push his message and, and, and eliminate competition for smoking. He's doing, you know, what, what could be called economic colonialism in other countries where he's, you know, strong arming public policy in places like the Philippines and elsewhere to have them outlaw vaping altogether. So there's your there's your billionaire bad guy smoking rates on the rise again for the first time in 20 years, tobacco stocks surging, um, small business being crushed by large corporate interests. I mean, it, you know, it has every single ass, every single box is checked for what 60 minutes would normally cover. And yet it's yep. just meh, crickets, absolute radio silence. And meanwhile, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the, the, you know, the heavy lift of bashing, you know, the first serious, um, efficacious, alternative to smoking that's ever been invented by American entrepreneurs oh by the way yeah and CBS could not CBS could not care less I mean all all of that self-praise patting themselves on the back were the were the courageous you know we stand up for the little guy it is 100% bunk no completely I mean and if I mean <laughs> they're only going after when they look at vaping that it's you know jewel and puff bar pretty big on the market they're um, but they don't ever, because of those, all the small guys are getting crushed. There's one other I wanted to speak on. There's a good, good transition here, which is to the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the WHO conference that took place just last week in which they were, in which they were talking about, you know, nicotine policy, global, global conference with lots of different countries. And I know you have a much closer, um, fine grain, uh, sense of the orchestrations of that than I do, Lindsay. But what struck me the most was that they locked the door. On the journalists, journalists were not permitted to take. To they had four the journalists actually this year, for the first time ever. Oh, they, 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 right, <laughs> four four hand pick four hand pick favorites. Yeah, I was able to find one from Brazil actually, so they had yeah, was doing um, updates, but we couldn't figure out the other. I think there's like three other, maybe four other, but they had there was like a picture of like the ones that had gotten approved. I mean, I'm sure they're all Bloomberg funded news organizations but well let, well let me ask you well, let me ask you this did, did, did you see any reporters from i don't know committee to protect journalists no. or the new york times or brian stelter or uh paul farhi at the washington post any of these you know columbia journalism review any of the any of the you know uh, defenders of the cathedral of journalism complaining that the world health organization was shutting out journalists at this crucial no. conference no you didn't even see anything that much coming out of them from on cop nine um you know which was right after cop 26 where they had you know everybody in the free world of journalism was there um you know not, they were there and then tweeting and you know writing about it um you really what i was doing the news updates, like, you know, just doing Google 20, you know, news 24, past 24 hours, nothing was coming from America, unless it was like a pro, like a vaping 360. Um, all the other ones I was getting mostly from um, Southeast Asia. Well, you know, in, in, in the world I would create, outlets like Vaping 360 and Filter Magazine would be getting a, I don't know, special Pulitzer or Hell's Bells, the main Pulitzer for their coverage. They have been absolutely running circles around the mainstream media. I'd be, I would be ashamed of myself if I were a 
you know, tobacco industry beat writer for any of these major publications and we're watching the Sheila Kaplan um, at New York Times. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's just I mean, how do you. It's your whole job. I mean, you have one job. How, how do you. Yeah, it, 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 it defies belief to, to me, really. Yeah, and it's amazing um, if it was any other consumer good out there, you would be demanding safer products. I mean, oh listen, it, oh listen. The New York Times, the New York Times, Kaplan and her buddies just spent the last three years absolutely crucifying Johnson and Johnson over its talcum powder issue. Okay, no, no detail too small, no scientific study too obscure, you know, no, no uh, trial lawyer plaintiff too, um, you know dubious for them not to you know feature on the front page and yet this issue which is you know by every estimate order of magnitude 100 times bigger just whatever not interested putting falsities i've talked to sheila actually spent an hour on the phone with her she didn't even quote me yeah she didn't like what i was saying well well let's let's uh let's transition then to our our third uh, uh second story excuse me we can talk about cbs all day uh our second story which is from the daily mail which curiously i'm going to try to get to the bottom of it but the daily mail seems to be one of the most i don't know tenacious of the vape panic hyperbole bunk merchants of all of all the press why that should be so i don't know it's they probably they ran with the like sperm cbs morning show they? They, they can you know push the buttons of you know i don't know workaday readers maybe but um they had this bunk study out that claims vaping nicotine can make your bones weaker did you see that yeah i've looked at the study too and it's a joke yeah, well there's maybe yeah the, I mean, the study's got huge methodological problems yeah um you know su- such as uh you know little, little nugget at the end about how they you know This included people who may have smoked. And here it is. Yeah. The end of the last line of the methodology says, uh, furthermore, this study did not analyze the relationship between current e-cig users who were former conventional cigarette users and the rates of fractures. Doing so might have opened up a wider reach of clinical implications. Huh. You don't say. So it's just it's just ridiculous. But it's, it's, it's of a piece with these other studies that try to measure health outcomes by including pools of, you know, people in the cohort who were cigarette smokers yeah and uh, wasn't it the uh wasn't the daily mail also the that brought up the um the old standby sperm count about a year ago um that weren't yeah. they the ones really pushing that so yeah um you're, you're to your point about yeah there is a very strange obsession the daily mail seemed to have throughout um, right right but the, but the, but the note notice please the study authors and i think a lot of this gets funded also back channel through bloomberg who's putting a ton of money into you know quote academic research because they know correctly that when they put out you know some study that has the imprimatur of a you know university or academic sounding journal behind it is gonna get snapped up by you know uh willingly gullible reporters and repeated all over hell's half acre and that's just exactly what's happening with this study and all the other ones you see too i mean what was the one last week Lindsay, that got retracted uh, oh i know it claimed that uh vaping uh, increases risk stroke, of stroke. yeah um flat out retracted within 24 hours by the authors and yet dozens of news, news organizations picked it up and the authors of those pieces just again, shameless. Like you've like you've act you've actively stomped on the trust between you and your readers, and they're just you know on to the next thing. Yeah, it makes you not trust any of the academic journals, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but you know, but but I mean, from a from a from a, just a purely cynical point of view, they, you could see why they do it because they know that they know that they're going to encounter zero skepticism from the press. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, oh, vaping is bad, so we're going to we run on it. You know, I mean, I, that's why I always go back to the Evali stuff. It was almost like, oh, we finally got something that we know is definitively vaping, so we're just going to emphasize this, but not even really do the research to find out what type of vaping it is. Yeah, I mean, the one I, the one I keep thinking about, and you see this pop up a little bit, too, is the, is the claim that vaping somehow will predispose younger people to other kinds of addiction in the future have you seen that yeah yeah and I, yeah well they, because they can't argue anymore that it leads to cigarette smoking because cigarette smoking is like as it's like lowest the data doesn't so now it's oh you know and it's kind of i remember like back in 2016 i mean it kind of came out when they were looking at like it, it, kids who try things are going to try things okay regardless of what it is you know, you're, you're, you're reminding me of a funny anecdote. I believe it or not, I played um, golf with the esteemed Alex Azar a couple of years ago. Oh, I was in I was in a tournament in D.C. and <laughs> my partner, my golfing partner, and I got paired against Alex Azar and his partners. We played a match in a in a foursome, and of course, I was you know like vaping on the first tee, and you could see that Azar <laughs> was you know really really distressed by this. Um, his playing part was kind of funny. Uh, so we finally, we got to the back nine we're on the 10th tee and Azar finally, finally musters up, musters up, uh, a comment about it. And he says, Jim, I, I just, I need to ask you, why, why do you feel like you need to vape? And I explained to him, I, you know, I had smoked Marlboro cigarettes for 20 plus years and I tried other quitting methods and couldn't. And, and, you know, I, I accidentally quit. I started vaping and it was like falling off a log easy. Yeah, and his play, you can see his playing partner started to chuckle. And Azar was, was <laughs> fixated on the idea of youth, uh, not not just addiction, but the idea that vaping would make young people more vulnerable to other kinds of addiction in the future. And it just seems so full moon, half baked to me. Yeah. Well, and they've used the same argument with, like, cannabis, that, oh, if you use weed, you're going to go and do all the other drugs. I mean, and it's just, it's kind of that argument of, like, what is a gateway drug? Is it the drug you do yeah. first, or is it the drug that you do in other in situations with other drugs? Right. Do you want to an answer that one? It's alcohol. It's in all the situations. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the um, there's just that alarmism. And if you also look at, like, the nicotine addiction, um, nicotine, you'd think, is, is uh, worse than heroin with the way that the news media makes it out to be. <clears throat> and, excuse me, I remember years ago when they used to say that you could quit your smoking in three days, you know, cold turkey. The first three days were the worst. If it's that addictive, then why does it only take three days to get out of your system? Right, 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 right. Well, I, you'll be amused to know I, I wanted to win the golf match, and so I, I, I decided to needle Azar a little bit. And I said, you know, uh, I said I should tell you, Alex, you know, the most, the most, the biggest reason I like to vape is because it's been so demonized by the federal government that that every time I, I take out my mod and, and and blow a cloud, it makes me feel like Steve McQueen, and his his, his playing partner like doubled over. And Azar, Azar's next shot is big slice into the world. <laughs> nice. Well, that's, the thing that's astonished me throughout is HHS is, you know, no matter who's who's in office or whatever, the, the, their strange tone, tone deafness on the subject has also been really puzzling to me as well. I mean, with, with all this, the data and the, the increase in smoking and all that, there, there's just kind of a 
tunnel vision there, it seems like to me as well. I mean, we have Peter Pitts and some others uh, who, who, who have FDA, you know. Tell us who Peter FDA. Pitts is. Uh, Peter, I think, is part of this group, um, uh, former associate commissioner, FDA, um, heroic in the in the uh, in, on, in the fight on our side, has been um, at it for a long time, very passionately so. But I don't think um, I could be wrong, but I don't think many of his colleagues, um, whether from Republican or Dem administrations, have have come out like he, certainly not like he has. But um, but the even folks. FDA alumni that I know uh, and respect uh, and I think see our, our side are, are just so reluctant to, to talk about it, reluctant to say so. And that's something that's, that's puzzled me from the day I started working on this um, about three, four years ago. Well, I'll make a, know, you know, I'll, I'll extend a, I'll extend an olive branch to my friends in the fourth estate, which is, you know, there are a few reporters who, and com, com, columnists in particular, who've covered this in a really scrutinizing, countervailing way. And the one that springs to mind is Joe Nocera, who I think is actually, I think he might even be with, with Bloomberg right now. Um, he had been with New York Times as a columnist, and he has taken a, you know, very um, hard line against the prohibitionists. Um, and has caught all kinds of static from his, you know, from his pals in the fourth estate about it. Um, but we are looking for champions like that in on the news side and in the commentary who are willing to look at some of these countervailing angles of which there are, you know, a ton substantiated, hard hitting, you know, push all the buttons that reporters normally love. And so any journalist that care to reach out to us and would like um, you know, basket of basket of background guidance and, and zinger quotes. We are we are actively going to keep doing that. That's fantastic because it's definitely in short supply out there. Um, it's like ever since like 2018, it's just bad, bad, bad. Every time you turn around, there's never a, you know a, not a story about vaping and something that's bad about it. Well, here's the, here's the good news though, Lindsay. I mean. We, we, we are we are badly outmatched in terms of resources. I mean, by, uh, by billions, by, yes, hundreds yeah. of hundred thousands to one. And uh, we've also got, you know, huge institutional opposition. Um, and we've also got, I don't know, I mean, World Health Organization, you name it. But here's the good news. If you look at the discussion threads in the public discourse on this issue, and I'm talking CFTK comment threads, American, you know, Heart Association comment threads, even when activists on the other side, you know, push their stuff on this issue. You look at those comment threads and ordinary Americans, the vast constituency who cares about this issue in a firsthand way is nearly universally on our side. I mean, we've got, you know, an, an almost 100 percent consensus among ordinary consumers, you know, on this issue. And that's no small thing. I mean, yeah. Um, on other topics we work on, I would, I, I would, you know, dearly love to have that much support so that we have an asymmetry of our own. And I think harnessing that and electoral through electoral politics is one way. And through the expression of those folks as, as, as voices in news stories, uh, that, that would cover it for reporters that have the backbone to do it. Um, I'm telling you, I think we could, I think we can flip this issue if we can make that constituency manifest. Yes, Jim. I think 
Jim, I agree with you completely. And I think, you know, we've got, we've got our short-term issue here with Build Back Better and all that. But in longer term, um, you know, we, 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 we have so much going for us that, that we're not, that we haven't done a good enough job tapping. You know, we're, we've done wonderful work at grass tops, but there's a grassroots component to this that I, that I don't think we've done enough engagement with, um, you know, because, I mean, look at, look at the New Jersey race, you know, where the state senator who was the biggest anti-vapor in the state got his butt handed to him by, you know, a trucker with, with 200 bucks spent mostly at Dunkin' Donuts, I believe. Uh, right. right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, th- there's no, there really hasn't, you know, we, we've put out these wonderful papers and, and, and people, obviously Lindsay being, being one of the, one of the, one of the most uh, prolific uh, of the bunch. Um, we've got all this great data, all this great information, all these great thinkers, but, but I think the, the, the mom and pops, the grassroots folks, people who have actually managed like you, Jim, who have managed to, who quit a, a habit that, that was, that was threatening their lives um, don't really have anywhere to turn to make their voices heard. And this is something that we should all be thinking about um, as we move toward the midterms, especially is, you know, how do we better uh, and more effectively mobilize our people because they're there and, and we have more than they do. I guarantee you. And we have better information we just have to put it to better use, I think. And well, that's, that's actually a good uh, that's actually a good way, I think, to transition to our close with a plug for some of our friends. Um, uh, the good folks at Casa are uh, organizing a, a petition right now that can, you can sign uh, for members of Congress. They're also doing a testi- gathering of testimonials, just like what you described, Christian. Mm-hmm. So I'd urge anyone listening to to check that out too. On AVM's Twitter feed, we often post a lot of the activities that our, our allies are doing um, along those lines. And the good guys at Americans for Tax Reform are also organizing a petition effort. So there's another good way to get your voice involved. And, um, uh, you know, don't necessarily wait for us, as, as they used to say in the old days, Christian. Uh, don't wait for orders. Just ride toward the sound of the guns. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would love to see us. We need our Yule Brenner commercial. On this issue, you know, the, the yeah, we do. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get you to star in that one, Christian. There's gonna be there's, one of us is gonna come up with that one ad or that one saying that's gonna tumble the tumble the house of cards. Well, there I is a there that. is a, I do have the feeling that there's a you know a lot of I don't know dry kindling to mangle the metaphor a little bit, um, but we got to put the match to it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's four o'clock. Time for us to wrap. Um, Lindsay Stroud. Thank you for joining us. Christian oh. Josie, you're a genius. Um, oh, thank you, guys. I'm sorry I was late again. Forgive no, me. not at all. Not at all. We'll keep the conversation going. Next week, Amanda Wheeler will be back, and we'll have details on AVM's Twitter feed about um, the topic and the guests. And um, we'll stay in close touch. There's a lot going on in the next few days, and uh, we'll keep the conversation going. 